You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the Rand Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from Rand's latest research and commentary. It's August 7th. Many experts believe that there will be a continued need this fall for public health interventions to stop the spread of COVID-19. This includes social distancing, limiting indoor gatherings, and aggressive sanitizing protocols. With this in mind, election officials and policymakers are casting a wary eye toward November 3rd, fewer than 100 days from now, when millions of Americans will vote in the general election. The question that they're asking and maybe you are too, is how can we safely and securely hold elections during the pandemic? New Rand Research aims to provide some answers. As the country continues to battle COVID-19, a safe election will mean that states have registration and voting processes in place that promote or allow for those public health interventions we just mentioned. Put another way, States will need policies that allow for flexibility in terms of where, when, and how residents can register to vote and cast their ballots. Take voter registration, for example. Online, automatic, and same-day registration can help limit the amount of person-to-person contact required to register to vote. Another flexible policy you've likely heard about is voting remotely or voting by mail, which allows people to cast their ballots without gathering at a polling place on Election Day. Early voting is another policy that can help limit the amount of interpersonal contact on Election Day because it spreads out the voting process across different times and locations. So which states have these flexible voting processes in place? Overall, our analysis showed that there's a lot of variation from state to state. And for that reason, each state is in a different position when it comes to preparing for the election. This is where the second part of our analysis comes in. The authors of this study also created a framework to help states understand what policy changes they can make between now and November, and how those changes might affect not only the health and safety of voters and poll workers, but also election integrity, access, and logistics. You can see all of the findings from this new research, including an interactive tool that will show you where your state's voting policies stand on RAND.org. And stay tuned for more on this topic between now and Election Day. As the pandemic continues to surge, the vast majority of artists have likely lost some or all of their income. They've also lost the institutions that they depend on to earn a living. And while some businesses, like gyms and restaurants, are reopening and resuming their operations, the arts as we know them are likely to be shut down for the foreseeable future. This could lead to millions of working artists and performers running out of unemployment benefits, losing their insurance, and possibly giving up on their arts careers altogether. To learn more about just how bad things may be for working artists and performers, RAND researchers analyzed survey data from the U.S. Department of Labor. They compared employment levels of artists and non-artists and looked at unemployment in the food services and retail industries, two of the most common alternative sources of income for artists. The data suggests that artists are being hit with a double whammy of unemployment, losing both their art-related and non-art-related incomes. 
Our researchers also assessed the provisions laid out in the CARES Act passed by Congress this spring. They found that this legislation has been critical to helping struggling artists. For example, it provided up to 39 weeks of unemployment benefits to individuals who might not otherwise qualify, including but not limited to self-employed workers who are not salaried. But artists and performers are going to need more help. What else could be done? Well, Congress could consider extending the provisions of the CARES Act to ensure that artists remain eligible for unemployment benefits at least until the pandemic is over. Lawmakers could also consider whether to provide more funding to the National Endowment for the Arts to disperse to organizations that make grants directly to artists, since they are the best able to reach out to those most likely to fall through the cracks. Strengthening back into a hurricane after being downgraded to a tropical storm, Isaias lashed the Atlantic coast this week, leaving destruction in its wake. And with hurricane season in full swing, there may be more powerful storms on the way. Earlier this summer, RAND experts wrote about how to prepare for hurricane response and recovery during a pandemic. There are many issues to consider. First, response systems are already overwhelmed by COVID-19, and a hurricane will only make that strain worse. To address this, emergency planners should look at how workforce shortages, delays in material and money, and insufficient hospital capacity could affect response. Second, evacuating and sheltering will have extra complications. Emergency evacuations often involve large populations moving to concentrated locations like shelters or hotels. So, if an evacuation needs to happen during the COVID-19 crisis, then decision-makers may need to take additional steps, screening evacuees for symptoms of the coronavirus, for example, and placing people with symptoms in separate facilities. Separating the elderly and the immunocompromised as much as possible will be critical. And finally, it's important to keep in mind that the economic slowdown from the pandemic may affect the speed and scale of recovery from a hurricane. For this reason, the government may need to play an even more active role in providing longer-term assistance. You've heard about North Korea's nuclear arsenal and its cache of chemical and biological weapons. But it's important to remember that the country also poses a concerning conventional threat. North Korea maintains nearly 6,000 artillery systems that can reach South Korean population centers along the entire width of the Korean peninsula. According to estimates from a new RAND report, Pyongyang could use these conventional weapons to kill many thousands of people in just an hour. The report examines five potential attack scenarios, from a targeted medium-range artillery strike on a South Korean manufacturing plant to a massive barrage without warning on the most densely populated areas in downtown Seoul. Across the different scenarios, the estimated casualties ranged from about 4,500 to more than 200,000. Because so much harm could be done so quickly, it's important for the U.S. and its allies to avoid any situation where the North might feel compelled to initiate such a strike. So if a provocation cycle starts between North Korea and the U.S., it's in everyone's interest to de-escalate the situation as swiftly as possible. As the findings from this report suggest, any military exchange in firepower would be very costly and bloody. 
The Quadrilateral Security Dialogue, or the Quad for short, is a partnership comprising Australia, India, Japan, and the U.S. Since the group's resurrection from a decade-long hiatus in November 2017, the Quad has met five times and has emphasized maintaining the liberal rules-based international order, which China seeks to undermine or overturn. According to RAND's Derek Grossman, the Quad is now poised to become openly anti-China soon. Quote, For the first time in the Quad's history, the stars are aligning for a harder line on China, and the implications going forward could be significant. He notes that if the Quad is more openly anti-China, then it will likely both harm and help the group in the future. It could harm the Quad because it will fuel Beijing's narrative that the Quad is a military alliance meant to contain and threaten China, and that this approach is destabilizing to the region. An anti-China Quad might also convince Russia to more closely align with China. But most importantly, Grossman says, the shift could help, because it would mean that the Quad's resolve to counter Beijing's growing assertiveness in the Indo-Pacific would no longer be just symbolic. It would be concrete. This may enhance the deterrence value of the group toward China. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org/podcast. See you next week.